coming in hot. Yeah, how do you like that popcorn? Sniffing my popcorn. <sighs> I made that with the whirly pop. Oh, it's amazing. You know what that is? I do, but tell us all about it. It's the it's the stovetop one. You oh. put a little put a little coconut oil in. Uh-huh. Couple kernels, let it pop. And you put in just a little over half a cup of kernels. I prefer the white kernels versus the yellow for this particular device. I see that. And you crank it as fast as you fucking can. Oh. Until it pops and it explodes. And then you have really good popcorn that tastes like movie popcorn. Because if you just use the coconut oil, a little bit of Himalayan sea salt, and I can't believe it's not butter spray. I was going to say it tastes like healthy movie popcorn. Yeah, I mean, it's without like all the partially taste. hydrogenated soybean oil. It's not leaving grease on my hands. I'm so glad. Yeah. And I made that at like 2 o'clock this afternoon. Oh, it's very delightful. Thank you so much. You're so very fucking welcome. Should we talk about narcissism? Why would we do that? <laughs> it might be because that's why the people tuned in. Let's do it. All right. So enough of the popcorn. We're going to talk today about how to identify a narcissist. You can use these thoughts, ideas, strategies, whatever we're going to talk about to either identify possibly someone in your family might have more narcissistic traits that might help you understand uh, someone you might be dating, a friend, someone at work, uh, a boss, yourself. I think it can be helpful to know most, a lot of people in these days we use that term a lot in yeah. our culture. And so I do believe that some people have an instinct for what that might be. And we kind of bandy it about, oh, that guy's a narcissist or, oh, she's she's so narcissistic. We, we kind of throw that out there. But I sit with a lot of people, and I know Kathy sits with a lot of people, that are truly discovering for the first time that they're in relationship with either a boss or a partner or a mm -hmm. family member who is more on the narcissistic side of like things. They're oriented there. Yeah, they're oriented there, not necessarily to the point of disorder, but right. sometimes, you know, or sometimes they've survived a relationship where that was the personality trait that they were dealing with and they sort of didn't really know. And now they're coming out of it and they're processing that and you're helping them understand. I'm realizing that is my relationship with you. <laughs> You're the narcissist or I'm the narcissist? <laughs> That's debatable. <laughs> However, on the day. <laughs> I will. I just want to highlight this because it's very true. We hear this word. It's a buzzword. Mm -hmm. um, as someone who works in the court system and tries to help the court understand what it is when it comes to parenting and why it could be detrimental, I think it's really important to understand that it is a cloak. It is. It has become colloquialized. It is a buzzword. That's not entirely bad. I think it's good that people are becoming aware of how narcissistic behavior can be abusive. It can be harmful towards others. However, there's a difference between someone who like it's the cloak they wear daily and that's where they're oriented versus someone having a narcissistic defense in a moment where like, I don't know, their shame has been exposed a little bit because we're all on that continuum but some people really live there mm -hmm. and there's a big difference. So, you know, oh, that person's a narcissist. That person's a narcissist. Well, we all are to a certain degree if we have self-esteem, mm -hmm. but where it becomes problematic is when it's out of that person's awareness, it's pervasive in every area of their life or in a large 
you know, in large capacity. And it really starts to affect their interpersonal relationships. Yeah. And you're talking about that more toxic, more disordered yeah. person who might not have the insight about themselves. Like that's the worst of it, right? Is yeah. when there's those behaviors, which we're going to get into, and there's no insight around it. And like you said, they live in that. And yeah. then there's and then there's people that maybe have some narcissistic traits in some areas of their lives, but it doesn't necessarily affect their functioning. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those people and the people I'm going to mention now, which are some people who are actually more healthy, understand that they orient to the world more narcissistically and can say that and have a lot of insight around mm -hmm. it and are always working to improve their relationship. Like I have literally worked for someone who said, I want you to know that I, and this was in the therapeutic field in mental health mm -hmm. who said, you know, I want you to know I'm, I orient more I'm as a narcissist, mm -hmm. uh, not in a disordered way, but that is the way. So I'm going to need you to give me that feedback when I do X, Y, Z. If you feel me shaming, if you feel me not listening if you if I externalize blame when yeah. I'm you know like literally some, having that insight yeah some people might refer to that as a flexible narcissist mm -hmm. because most narcissists are really rigid and I want to highlight that what Shannon is describing is so fucking rare mm -hmm. um, it, it takes a lot of work for someone to not only have that insight to be able to tolerate that insight Oh, uh, it was amazing. And this was a supervisor of mine and a psychologist. Yeah. yeah. Obviously had done a ton of work around that. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated and I learned a lot about them and about myself mm -hmm. and my ability to say, oh, yeah, so you're doing that thing right now. <laughs> and I had never been able to do that before because I think Kathy and I can both say that we've had narcissists in our lives and may even have uh, some people with narcissistic tendencies in our lives now. We're coming from both a personal fund of knowledge and a professional fund That's of right. knowledge. Yeah. Um, I've worked with narcissists as clients, so has Kathy. I would also say that what she's saying about a narcissistic defense is really important because we can all have a narcissistic defense and we will explain what that is a little bit later. But yeah. And I, and one thing, last thing I'll say, so we don't need to continue to go back into this as we have this conversation is what we are offering in this particular episode is an explanation, but by no means should there ever be an excuse for someone treating you a certain way. And if you are in a situation where you're being exploited, where, you know, your reality testing is being gaslighting is a term that's used a lot. If you're experiencing this from a person in your life, just because their disorder or their organization is rooted in trauma, that is not a reason to engage and try to fix that situation. So what we're offering is just more, knowledge, but not saying because of this, you should stay. And I just want to be clear about that. Great. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We're just trying to help you have it be, you know, maybe amp up your radar with this sort of thing. For sure. So, so perhaps that you can avoid certain situations or just understand certain situations that you may be in and then make an educated decision. Or know how to forward. respond to people. Exactly. Right. And we'll talk about some, some good tactics and how to respond if you know you're you're maybe either in a relationship or consistently exposed to them because of work or whatever, we can talk a little bit about that too. You bet. I work with one every other Sunday. Oh, happy Sunday. Shannon. 
She's calling me a narcissist. I'm just kidding. The second time, she's <laughs> no, no. But they do so, gravitate towards you. So <laughs> that's for sure. What does so, that say about me? Yeah. Right. Hmm. Hmm. That brings up the first one of the first things I would mention is uh, when I kind of fake cried just now. I was alluding to the fact that most people with a narcissistic uh, organization will be intensely sensitive to feedback. Now that can be someone who has more narcissistic tendencies. It can be someone in a narcissistic defense because they are very insecure about whatever it is you're giving them feedback on. So you have to really gauge if this is something that is they always do, they do in every area of their life, or if it's, you know, in this area of you know, work because they're new at it or this area of relationships because they've only had one relationship or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. so there's a little delineation, but it, one thing I would mention is if someone, when you want to give them, if you're in a relationship with someone who is more narcissistically oriented and doesn't have the insight, when you want to give them feedback, let's say it's a partnered relationship and they're doing something that doesn't feel good to you. And you want to say, hey, you know, I wanted to talk to you about our conversation over breakfast or whatever and how that made me feel, whatever. So you're going to, and almost immediately. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> like vomit. There is going to be, uh, you're cutting you off, mm -hmm. um, externalizing, saying it's your fault, just any dodge and bob and weave. And it's not, and they are going to train you not to give feedback. Yeah. And, and I'm going to give you some imagery here. I want you to all picture the words defense mechanism. And then I want you to put legs on it <laughs> because that's essentially what they are is they're one big walking set of defense mechanisms. And that is very different from like psychopaths and sociopaths, which we've talked about on their shows. This, these are folks that are literally like they're in constant defense mode because of that shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's an emptiness there. Yeah. Because a narcissistic injury is pre-verbal. It's often in the womb or as a baby, mm -hmm. severely neglected, et cetera. It could be, it's, it's pre-verbal. So that means off, that means they don't have any memory of it, understanding of it, any way to verbalize or have insight around it unless they do a ton of work. Or you put them in a time machine. <laughs> or they had some protective factors where yes. very quickly some folks came into their life that some repair was happening. That critical period that Shannon's talking about, you know, in the womb or birth till about like two and a half years old. That's the most critical period. And so when people say, oh, they, they couldn't talk yet or they couldn't possibly understand what's going on. No, no, and no that's when so much of our attachment is developing and probably the worst time for any of that to happen. For sure. And because there's that injury right at that moment, it brings me to the second thing that I wanted to say about how I, I kind of know I'm interfacing with a more narcissistic person is that because of that lack of proper mirroring or proper parenting the, in those early years, and they don't really remember it, they're going around trying to figure out a mirror. So when you think of the myth of narcissists, it's him looking in the lake and looking into a mirror and then, you know, <laughs> that doesn't go very well. No. But that's why they have very poor boundaries. 
everyone should feel and see things as they do. Mm-hmm. Everyone should mirror. And if you don't mirror them, because that's what they're constantly looking for, because that's what little babies need from their parents. And when we don't get that, you know, when mommy or daddy or mommy or grandma or sister or whoever's taking care of you doesn't mirror your facial expressions when you're a baby, among other things, neglect, et cetera, you don't get that that very natural part of the development of mirroring. And so they're looking around for a mirror. So they're looking for that person to fill them. So if you aren't mirroring them, you either don't exist because they'll just move on to the next person that that provides the mirror or worse, they rage out at you. You know what's I, this is really important. And some sometimes and I think you and I have talked about this before, but what's interesting about them as well and this this I'll discuss whether or not they understand what's going on in in the moment, but when you, there are times though in a therapeutic space, and I know we're not necessarily talking about you working as a therapist with them. When you do mirror them, they cannot handle it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Yeah. Depends. Um, and it depends on what that issue is. But mm-hmm. if it's something, because the thing that they want is the thing that they're actually also incredibly terrified of, right? Absolutely. And that that's perfect because that brings me to another, an, an adjacent point of this, which is I... My orientation tells me that that's because there's a split. So mm-hmm. when you have this very early injury and you go through your life and you do not get that mirroring from, let's say, a coworker, because like coworkers don't owe you that, <laughs> you know, partners will often like adapt and bend themselves over backwards to try to get you the mirror or like a family member or something like that. But, you know, they don't get it in a coworker. What happens is they split. Right. And they they project the negative onto you. They do this with therapists is what Kathy is talking mm-hmm. about. They project the negative onto me and they split the positive for themselves. Yep. They internalize oh gosh, the positive yes. and they split the negative to you. So if you've ever been in situations where, you know, perhaps you give feedback to someone like we were talking about before and they're immediately defensive, defensive and they're immediately negative towards you. And that feels like that broke the rapport or whatever you thought you had what they're doing is they're raging out at you and they're internalizing the fact that they're right and Mm -hmm. that they're not wrong and that the way they approached something was exactly correct Mm -hmm. they're complicated motherfuckers yeah and you know so i get this question a lot when i'm working and what i'll do is i'll help sometimes i will help attorneys strategize and help um folks who have been in these relationships, particularly those who are sharing custody, how to really get the court to understand and see and, and X, Y, Z, which can be really difficult to do, but there are certainly ways to do it. I get this question a lot, which is, do they understand what they're doing? So here's my answer. It's two pronged. They certainly know what they're doing. They just don't always under the, understand the motivation behind it. In their mind, they are the constant victim they have a rationale for why they might be doing what they're doing. But you'll often hear, and maybe you've experienced this, which is, I don't understand. One second they were acting this way and then they turned around and they did this. They don't even really fully know why mm-hmm. because they have zero, like Shannon was saying, there's such a lack of stable or sense of self at all that they don't 
necessarily know the motivation behind what they're doing, but they are aware, they're conscious, they're in touch with reality. They just have a rationalization for it. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about the most rigid of... We're talking about the most rigid. Narcissist, of course. The ones that are, it's out of their awareness. But that's often, that's a big question I get. You know, do Mm -hmm. they know what they're doing? Yeah, they just don't always understand the motivation behind it, which is why it can change so drastically yeah and i think the thing that confuses people too in the in relationship to that question is that i think they lack the motivation to communicate as part of a team Mm -hmm. and they lack the motivation to change that's right or to take responsibility and so whereas most of us we might find ourselves in a group of people and we're not getting along or whatever we might take on some part of that responsibility and say like all right so i can you know, I can bitch to my friends a lot, but at the end of the day, I got to look at this for myself and what part am I playing in this? And, you know, that's that part of being like emotionally mature and adept and like what we're all kind of trying to be. They don't have the motivation to do that. It's, it's completely self-serving. I mean, you know, and also the anxiety is projected onto the other person And accusing them of being negative Mm -hmm. when they're the ones, you know, that's that split too. It's like, oh, you're the negative one. Yeah. You're so (laughs) negative. You're so unsupportive. You don't understand blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Which is their own anxiety projected onto you. Absolutely, It's their own insecurities. It's their own emptiness. So if people are doing that to you, you might be dealing with a more narcissistic person. Can we talk about? No. Awesome. (laughs) can we talk about triangulation do do it okay so many of you probably if you've been in a situ i call it a situation ship because you can't be in a and you can't relate to these folks how contemporary of you that's actually not my terminology but it's something that i use from uh, a a coach quinn holiday he's he's hilarious and he's like you're never in a a relationship with a narcissist it's just a situation it's such a great word that folks are using these days i like it so uh one thing that they love to fucking do is make sure that you never feel secure right and here lies that projection again of I'm going to displace the discomfort onto you and make sure that you know that you are in a constant race for my affection. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to bring someone in as a third who may or may not even be aware of it just to fuck you up. (laughs) So it's all of us. What what does it do is it breeds jealousy, our own sort of borderline tendencies or organizations start to spiral out of control. And then we hear you're so needy. You're so sensitive. You're so this. And you're like, fuck you. Yeah. Or you're like, am I? Yeah. Well, there's, there's that first, right. And the gaslighting that Shannon's talking about a lot of times will accompany this wonderful world of triangulation where when you say, Hey, you know, I'm just wondering what's going on with this relationship with this person. I thought you guys were friends, but then they look at you and go, what the hell are you talking about? Why would you think there's a, you know, I know this person as a friend. Why would, and then the next thing you know, they're banging that person on Sunday afternoon, a little afternoon delight. And you find out and you go, God, this person was making me feel so crazy for so long. And here's the other fucking thing they'll do. You ready for this? On top of that, they'll double down and start to lean into their relationship with you just so you, it, it, it's kind of like this 
I'm going to hypnotize you to concentrate on how much I'm actually into you. So you won't, it's the narcissist's sleight of hand. So you won't look over here and start to think more about the fact that I'm starting a relationship with this other person. Now I'm using an intimate setting, but this could be a friendship, a business relationship. Triangulation exists with children from a parent. It's all there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Here are some more subtle things that seem more normative when you first start a relationship with someone who's narcissistic. Because that's what I'm hearing and kind of what you're saying, Kathy, is that in the beginning, one of my red flags is, and here's the thing, is if you have a lot of interactions with narcissism or you end up in a relationship and then survive that, you end up having a bit of a radar. And so Mm -hmm. I, you know, and I've also learned a lot from my clients over the years. Mm -hmm. One of the things that now is a massive red flag for me and makes it very hard for me to trust is when they rush in real fast. Oh yeah. You date someone and they tell you that they love you like on the third date or something, or they put you on such a pedestal as if you are the most perfect thing in the world. And now for me, that's like the only way is down. I'm falling off that pedestal and it's going to happen sooner or later. And I'm not having it. (laughs) Like I am not going to be on that pedestal and I'm also not going to rush. That's right. And, and what Shannon's talking about too, is, you know, with these folks, kindness always comes with a cost. So at the very beginning, this over-attentiveness sometimes can also be it, with these really lavish gifts and trips and diamond rings and promises and future faking and all of this stuff, but that will be held against you later, mm-hmm. right? Well, I bought you a new car. Or it'll, it, it's a way for you to become indebted yeah. and, and traumatically bonded to them. So when we think about the cycle of violence in a narcissistically abusive relationship of any kind, the most abusive part of the cycle mm-hmm. is that over-attentiveness or what some people will call love bombing, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what actually creates the trauma bond. Well, and the reason why I want to mention these things too and look at them as normative is because in the beginning I I'd like to validate and and kind of normalize that it's it feels very good yeah so I wouldn't want anyone listening to think that this is something that everybody sees and you didn't and and all of that and yes maybe when you're in that relationship your friends and family or that are listening to you complain about it or whatever are thinking in their heads like oh god oh boy oh no you know because they may have had more experience than you Mm -hmm. with it but that's hopefully not in a judgmental way it's in a protective way like oh shit you're in a oh boy oh when you're when you're in it it can feel very judgmental until you're out of it and you can look back. Yeah, there's yeah. that cloud that lives. Mm-hmm. But but I do want to tell you, like, 
the feeling of having, there's nothing, there's nothing like having the gaze of a narcissist. It feels as if you are the most special, unique, gorgeous, smart, funny, whatever it is, creature. And if you are in a vulnerable spot in your life, there's really nothing that feels better. What happens is that the red flag then, because that's often what falling in love feels like. Yep. So this, you know, this is difficult to recognize. What happens though, is the narcissist has the unique ability to take its eyes off of you and look at work, computer, someone else, a friend, whatever, and you all of a sudden, you don't feel connected to that person, you feel abandoned or emptied. Yeah. And that's why those, what Kathy's talking about, those more borderline traits, which is, which is punctuated by a fear of abandonment, can happen in any of us mm -hmm. and and kind of trigger a borderline functioning where we're like grasping and feeling needy and looking desperate. needy. It feels and so then desperate. they call you needy yeah. and you are. They'll tell you you need to be in therapy, that you, you there's, you know, clearly you're unstable. I mean, they'll say all of these things. And they and, caused it. And you, it, yeah. And they caused it, and and you actually feel this yes. way. So you start not, to say, not wrong. <laughs> you start <laughs> to say to yourself, it. like maybe this person's right. Like I don't feel like myself anymore. But like you said, they planted those seeds early on with that love bombing. They planted those seeds because their biggest fear. They know they need you more than you need them. Maybe not on a conscious level. So what do they do? They flip the switch, you know, or they flip the script. And they, that projection makes you feel that, that, you know, that projective identification. It's like all of a sudden you now are feeling what it is that they feel on a very unconscious level. You start to feel afraid to lose them. You start to pick up the attributes of who they actually are way underneath the surface. This is the, it's like the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was making the world believe he didn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of thing. Like they are fucking magicians. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's why I say there's nothing, there's nothing that feels better than having that gaze from a narcissist. And there's nothing that feels worse than when they shift away and you realize what you're encountering and how crazy making and then the gaslighting and the love bombing and all that stuff. It's just this awful chaotic mix. And that's the trap. If it didn't feel so good, if you didn't like it so much, if you didn't want that kind of attention, it wouldn't matter. That's right. You wouldn't get in, you wouldn't get sucked in. That's right. And so speaking from experience, and I know Kathy speaks from experience too, and having encountered, like, even with clients, you can get sucked in. That's it's right. not that I, you know, it wasn't at all a relationship or a sexual relationship, but like you get sucked into their narrative. And if you're not adept as a therapist at picking these things out and understand what you're working with and changing tack because there's a different way to work with that than there is to work with someone who 
might just be in a grandiose state because maybe they deserved it. <laughs> maybe mm -hmm. they're having a great time, whatever it is. And so you can get trapped in someone's narrative like that. And then you go, oh, hold on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hold on a second. I get it. But you just get quicker and quicker at looking at it. So for sure. Unless there's something else you wanted to say about that. Let's talk a little bit about a narcissistic defense. Let's go for that. My experience of a narcissistic defense, I everyone can have this. You will have experienced this in your everyday life, and you may recognize it in yourself because every single probably human on the planet as an adult has had a narcissistic defense in one shape or form in some interaction. I just want to normalize that for everyone. That is very different than being a narcissist. So Kathy was talking about how a narcissist can like sprout legs and have defense mechanism <laughs> on their forehead or cap yeah. or shirt or mug or whatever it is. A narcissistic defense looks more like this. Someone you're relating with or interacting with at work, let's say, all of a sudden you say something and let's characterize it as you step in their trauma because that's kind of where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And that trauma might be conscious or unconscious for them. A lot of times it's unconscious to have this reaction. And so you step in shit, basically. That's what I always call it. Oh, I stepped in so-and-so's shit today. She does step in shit. <laughs> and then, uh, no, you do, because you're the one with horses. That's true. I stepped in a lot of shit <laughs> before I came over, but the boots are off. <laughs> Thank God it really smells. No. Uh, <laughs> That's me. So you step in someone's trauma. You know, an average person, a friend, someone who you normally are very close to, you step in their shit and they attack you in some way. Now, this could be minor irritability and be like, yeah, whatever, blah, blah. And then they poke you, whatever that poke is, you know. It gets under your skin and then now you're now you're tripped up. Now you have a little trauma reaction. And that's more of a narcissistic defense. When someone steps in your shit, when someone steps in your trauma, you want you want to annihilate them. And that's where we get the narcissist part. So a narcissist, a rigid narcissist, an awful toxic, you know, disordered narcissist is raging out at everyone in order to get them to go away, feel less than, you know, whatever it is. All of the reasons that we've given. But those of us sort of more average folks, if someone steps in my trauma and I hear myself go, well, that's okay. You don't care anyway. Or, you know, something really kind of shitty like that, that, that the other person doesn't deserve. And it also isn't, doesn't really make sense. Not really about them. And the other person is like, what the fuck? Now I can identify that in myself not always in the moment, but I do identify when I've done that. And I used to do it a lot when I was younger mm -hmm. because I grew up in relationship with narcissists. Mm -hmm. And so I, I didn't want anybody to step in my trauma. So I've worked through a lot of that, but I can identify it in others super quick because <laughs> it feels oh, like, yeah. whoa, wait, I, what? For what sure. happened? I look back on some of my earlier relationships and my narcissistic defenses were like, I'd, I'd just go for the fucking jugular. Yeah. What are you mean? And I'm like, what? like now, I mean, yeah. I don't even like the thought of yelling in a relationship, but I mean, there, the, that was there because like you, I grew up with a very misogynistic, narcissistically oriented father. And I was always ready to just like 
just lash out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that carries into your yeah, adult your relationships. relationships. But the difference is, is when you are healthy or healthy-ish, you can do the work to begin to recognize that you are, that this, you're in self-preservation mode and you're doing your best to deny anything that looks like a flaw or a limitation. When you aren't healthy and you lack the capacity for insight or self-reflection, which is one of the benchmarks of someone who's a rigid narcissist, that doesn't improve. No, like we can do that and then feel bad. Yeah, we can have that remorse. Like I that have guilt. that reaction and I'm like, like, oh, ugh. shit. I even like, I feel it immediately. Like, ugh, yeah, I'm an, I'm an ass. You turn red, <laughs> you feel it in your stomach, yeah, you feel embarrassed. Like, Where mm. there, that sense of entitlement And again, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is, do they know what they did in that moment? Yes. Do they understand their motivation? No. Mm -hmm. Because in that moment, they feel vindicated. They feel like they are the victim. They're allowed. They're entitled. And depending on what kind of narcissist did they get too much, did they get too little Mm -hmm. early on in life? Right. You know, they're reacting based on either from a place of grandiosity or more of an inverted depressed place. But either way, narcissists are the only people that put other people into therapy. Right. Okay. No other disorder or personality puts people in therapy more than narcissism. You can arguably say that it's borderline, but borderline folks they wear it on their sleeve. They go to therapy. Many of them go to therapy. Narcissists, not so much. Well, and then that's often sometimes, you know, I've talked about before or mentioned offhandedly that a lot of times people who have a more rigid narcissism end up in therapy midlife. Right. Because what's happened is there's been a break in all the, you know, they didn't, they didn't become the rock star they thought they were going to be. And they're realizing that that didn't happen. The grandiosity has fallen flat. They've had a number of failed relationships, a number of failed jobs and careers. They didn't become, you know, the race car driver that they knew they were going to be and were totally qualified to be. I'm uh, realizing I'm not going to be the rock star. I know. It's that so I sad. wanted to be. And we support you. Thank you. And so it starts to crumble and they enter a more borderline mm-hmm. state. And then they're more pliable and and in therapy. Now, will they still come to therapy and give you all the rules and regulations (laughs) that you need to follow as a therapist? Yes. I've had folks uh, tell me exactly how many sessions for how many minutes we were going to talk about X, Y, Z. They come with full agendas with a title page for each session. Uh, They tell me, you know, I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm wrong. If I breathe. I I so know this. (laughs) I had one person one time sort of say, you know, I really hate it when you do that thing with your breath (laughs) or you'll be on a and i was just sitting breathing meaning it was literally a beautiful metaphor for like your mere existence is so intolerable to me well and you the the treatment focus too right if you try to hold them in the here and now and you're focused on something and and you hit a nerve why are we talking about this? Yes, exactly. Right? And it's like... Talk about stepping in someone's shit, right? Oh, stepping in someone's trauma. That's right. But at least you're able to step in that trauma now. Like... Yeah, for sure. And then you're having that conversation. And they may be mean. And they may rage out. And they be... But my when I was doing that work more often, which honestly, you know, it, you got to take care of yourself a lot when you're doing that, is 
they're going to do it with you so they don't do it with the person at home. To me, that was better. In other words, I could provide that service because I don't love them. I'm mm -hmm. not in a relationship with them. I have the ego strength to tolerate it. Mm -hmm. And I can sit in relationship with them and, and do that work because they are actually coming to therapy, which, of course, younger narcissists don't do. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting thing, I think, to learn to deal with because quite honestly now with supervisees too I often have conversations mm -hmm. around this mm -hmm. because the more experience you get with these different kinds of personalities just as a human honestly out in the world the more adept you will be and in certain industries that's going to be really helpful if you're in the entertainment industry it's very important to know how to and if we want to talk about, uh, you mentioned earlier, some, some strategies, mm -hmm. one of them, it would be gray rocking, mm -hmm. which is when you're being attacked, you simply become a gray rock. You become invisible. And really boring. Very boring. Sometimes you have to be a little bit agreeable because they'll ask you questions. Well, what a da 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 And you go... Yes, I'll absolutely do that. Cause yeah, I've less had, is more. I've had bosses like that. And so when the boss was raging out at me, because I did work in Hollywood, when the boss is raging out in, at me, I could say, absolutely, I'll take care of that. Instead of responding to all of the antagonism. Yeah. Because the antagonism would look like, well, why did you do that? And how come you decided to do this? And what about that? And you just say, don't worry, I'll fix it. You're and you move away. You're neutralizing the bomb with gray rocking, right? You're, yep. you're get less is more. If, if they write you a, a five page email, you respond at, with at most a sentence. Yep. That's it. Just become boring. Indifferent, neutral, boring they will find another stimulus that mm -hmm. they can throw their chaos onto they want to mirror remember yes so they're wanting you to mirror the chaos That's and right. when you do that and when you're anxious and angry and upset and you attack back that is mirroring them and feeding them so if you're not feeding them then they'll move on yep any other tactics you would like to share with folks well, I think it's really easy to feel provoked by these people. And especially if it's someone who's in your family or an authority figure. And I know it can be really hard to like want to share with them all of your knowledge. You don't want to tell them to read any books on narcissism. You don't want to call them a narcissist. You don't want to give them any information. All that they're going to do is turn that back onto you. Use some sort of, you know, narcissistic amalgamation of shit Word salad, confuse you, get you more defended and chaotic. So the general rule in all of this without going in, because there's so many, is neutral, indifferent. Indifference, if you want to shut a narcissist down, indifference is the best way to do it because they're looking for a reaction, whether it be sad, angry, or happy. Indifference is, if you want to hit them where it hurts, indifference is, is the best way to do it. It also allows you to preserve your energy by like Shannon was saying, by not giving into that chaos. They don't know how to exist without chaos. In the absence of chaos, you have intimacy. In the, in the absence of intimacy, there is room for chaos. They know how to thrive in chaos. So if you don't give them that, they're dead. Mm -hmm. So remain indifferent.
If you don't know how to do that, or it's too close to home, or you're living with this person, these are great tactics to work on in your own therapy or with a coach or do, you know, just really informed reading online that's coming from good sources, but do not feed that proverbial beast. You won't win. No, you won't win. And it'll hurt. You know, you'll, you'll think you're doing what you can to change them or control them. And I just want to mention that that is a situation where then you're going to need to support, get support for your own codependence Yep. because that's driving that urge to change, fix, support, yep. give them the information that they need. You, oh, well, if I just tell them that blah, 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 and oh, there's this great book or even there, mm-hmm. you know, there's this great podcast with Kathy and Shannon <laughs> where they talk all about narcissism. And I think you are, you should listen to it. Don't do that. <laughs> Two things that we do when we fall into states of codependency, which, you know, codependency is not always a trait. It, it can be a state and we can fall into a state of it when we're with someone who's narcissistic is one we project our empathy onto them, that they'll finally get it, that they'll be able to be empathic with us. And two, we kind of assign them this conscience, right? We give them uh, empathy. We have to remember that we cannot love them healthy and we cannot fix them, nor is it our job. So if you're finding yourself, like Shannon was just saying, if you're finding yourself wanting to do that, that is a great time to reach out and go, hey, I need help to not do that. Yeah, don't externalize yourself, right? Yeah. Like don't project it, the whole problem onto them. You're in a relationship with a narcissist. You have a choice to figure out why that is and to work with yourself. Get the fuck out if you can. So go gray rock a narcissist because we said so. That's right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.